this is Kelso, and this is the Kelso Lando Show. Today, I am wearing my headphones, or they're actually Sam's headphones. I'm trying to be a real podcaster, and normally I don't wear these headphones because it kind of has that delay where you can hear your own voice, but I think that's the point of them. So if I talk slow, that's kind of why I feel like I'm in my own echo chamber. Phones are driving me nuts. Maybe I'll take them off and see if I do better. I think this is a lot better. (laughs) That first part is going to be in slow motion. Um, Yeah, so, oh my god, Sam makes fun of me for it. I'm on a subreddit called Hydroholics, and it's just, (laughs) it's like the, I don't know, it's it's probably the most specific humor I engage in, but basically it's a subreddit for people to brag about how much water they drink and, like, how proud they are of drinking water um, and kind of just shit on, like, things that, go against that message so like one example would be people drinking soda um and yeah so (laughs) it's just it's a funny subreddit because you'll go on it and it'll be like I, I don't know like a picture of a plastic water bottle and be like that's how that's my number one relationship red flag it's it's just like dumb stuff like that but this one guy um I don't know what other kind of videos he makes, but he made this video uh, kind of, like, making fun of that idea, like, before, like, getting my reusable water bottle being whatever about water, but then, like, after getting my reusable water, and suddenly he's like, I've got a soft water tap on the fridge and a hard water tap, and then if you want to adjust the pH levels, you just press these buttons over here, and the acidity, I like it on the softer side. Um... (laughs) And I'm not like that with my water. I honestly can't tell the difference between people would be like, oh, the top water here is amazing. We get it from Lake Tahoe. Not really, but because Tahoe, I don't think it's a drinking water lake. Maybe Hetch Hetchy. I think that's the one that um, at least one county I've been in. Oh, that's, I think, where they get their water. Um, and they'll just... I feel like it's amazing here. I take that back, though. The one place that I was drinking water, I know this is riveting for people who aren't a hydro homie, but um, one time I was in Ireland, and I was staying on this, like, Airbnb, like, ranch farm thing, um, and they had, they I think they even had, like, a well for their water. Like, they butchered their own meat. They, like had chickens for their eggs and like a cow for dairy or it was that or they butchered their meat and brought it to a market yeah that makes more sense than like being a dairy farmer too I was making that last part up but I do remember they would like trade it for other stuff which is technically feudalism so maybe we should go back to that because it doesn't seem like capitalism and um you know, communism work. So if those are like two ends of the spectrum, I think maybe feudalism is the way to go. But at this farm in Ireland, uh, (laughs) the water, like, I guess there was so much lime wherever they got their water or in the pipes or something. It just like, 
it coated everything. Like you, you would smell like lime when you got out. The water tasted like lime. And that was the only place I remember thinking like I did not like the taste of the water. Um, because it was just so, it was so aggressive. I don't know. It's such a dominant flavor. But outside of that, I am not a water snob usually. But I do always carry a uh, reusable water bottle on me. I honestly, right now, the one that I'm using, I've had the longest. It's been four years that I've had it, and I haven't lost it yet. Um, So that's, I think, a new record for me. It helps that COVID happened, so I ended up not going anywhere as often. Um, So yeah, I've been busy the past couple of weeks. What's been going on? Well, I'm getting married, and I bought a wedding dress, and it's pretty simple, and I didn't think it would need too much in alterations, Um, but it turns out that the alterations place that I took it to, um, the dress itself, I'll just say how much it costs, because be fully transparent um I think it was $1,800 and it's like a super simple dress it's buttercup by scout bridal and I got it at dress theory in San Diego shout out to them beautiful shop it was a great experience um so I got this dress it's super simple strapless like I don't know what kind of shape it is it's like form-fitting um but it's kind of like yeah you could look it up um, but very plain, no lace, nothing, nothing in the deck decal really. Um, and so I brought it in to this woman that the place recommended, recommended, and she does like couture bridal alterations, which I don't think this dress is couture, like, I don't think it's that fancy. Um, it was like they did <laughs> at this dress shop. I think it was like a nicer dress shop. And my budget was like at the very end of what they sold. So I was like kind of limited in dresses I could try on. Um, which I did appreciate that they had me try on dresses, like actually in my price range. And so I don't even think we picked out any dresses there. Weird. Um, so I take it to this place. It's in Oceanside, which is nice. So it was like 10 minutes from my house and I get there and I also bring my mom's wedding dress that her mom made for her in um for her wedding in 1986 I think um so my nana made it and it's like it fit me pretty well honestly but it's got like a tool skirt and then the top um was just like I don't know kind of like your grandma makes dresses and it's like a little girl kind of hem and straps anyways so I take them both in and the, the lady like looks at my mom's dress and she's like you don't want to take that here like um you know a regular tailor can just like hem that for what you want like for my price basically because like she was too expensive like she didn't want me to waste money I think essentially and then for my dress she looked at it told me all the stuff she would think about doing and that it would end up costing at most fourteen hundred dollars which I did not budget my dress correctly. I think my friend is getting married um, and she's not getting her dress altered at all. And like, I didn't think my dress didn't fit me that well. Although I measure like two of my measurements are a size two and the third one's a size four. So I had to order a size four dress because you don't want to order it too small. Like you always want it to be too big and then take it in a little. 
So I got a size four dress. So it makes sense to me that I would need more alterations because it's just my measurements don't really line up in the same way uh, that hers do. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just like shocked. I'm like, wow, I'm basically spending the amount of a whole new dress on this dress basically. So I'm like way out of my budget. Cause I think my budget was like 2,500. Um, so I budgeted like 600 for, <laughs> for the alterations, but that's something that I feel like if I was to tell someone, I'd be like budget basically twice as much for the alterations, even though it probably won't cost that much, maybe two thirds, whatever. Um, that's a lot of money for me, but Luckily, my mom's helping me out with this wedding, and it's, yeah. So, I ended up, (laughs) so my mom, because she's helping me out, was like, okay, give her this price and tell her, like, both the dresses, but at this price. And it was higher than the price she quoted me. So, I do that, and then the woman's like, oh, well, I can just do them both for the price I quoted you or something like that. And then, yeah, so, we... So she's doing both dresses now. I think the other dress ended up being way more work than she originally thought, my mom's dress. Um, But I'm super excited about it. I think it's going to be, like, way different than a dress I would have tried on myself. Um, But I think it's going to work out. My mom's going to love it. So, yeah, that's um, wedding dress stuff. So I've been going to those appointments, like, once every other week. Then I've been going to individual therapy, but I need to reschedule an appointment. I haven't gone in a couple weeks and then Sam and I are doing couples therapy right now and those are like every other week and that's during the week um and then working and then planning other wedding stuff like we got to send out our invites we have to like we're getting married now in two months so like everything's coming to a close at least for me because it's still two months out I don't want to be like that month stressing over all the little details so yeah that's been going on um I feel like work's about to get stressful again which is awesome but I don't know dealing with that better um and then last weekend yeah Sam and I went up to the Bay Area again again I don't know we haven't been in so long um since January and stayed at my mom's house and saw his dad and I my hair and makeup artist had canceled on me for my wedding so I had to reschedule with someone new and I had to do a new trial for that which honestly sucks I've had I've had to sit through two trials now and they're like four hours long and you just sit there and you talk and it's like kind of nice because they're like making you pretty but like both times I come home at like 8 p.m and I wash it off and go to bed um so and I think this one turned out better than the last but yeah and then I was gonna fly back originally but uh, I don't even want to tell a story because <laughs> I've told it so many times, but, uh, Sam went out while we were in the Bay area and then essentially like got really hungover and needed me to drive us both back with Lola to the San Diego. So that's what I did Sunday. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a hectic couple of weeks months years (laughs) no I just feel like my life until our wedding and honeymoon is gonna be like super busy I mean it'll probably be busy after that doing all the other stuff we've been meaning to do 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just wish I had a summer vacation as an, as an adult (laughs) where you could just get bored. Um, so yeah. Okay. Today, I want to see what time it is. What time is it? Oh, we're 15 minutes in. I should put a timestamp on these bad boys. I didn't know I could talk that long. Um, it's like when you're a kid and like you need to give a minute long speech and you realize a minute is a long ass. Right. So I figured <laughs> as Jason Derillo would say, I am writing solo this week because Oh, on top of other things, like, I caught COVID, and then now I gave it to Sam. Yeah, guys, it's still around. Um, So I had COVID, and I feel like nowadays there's, like, I don't know. I didn't go around people for five days, but I also tested negative, too, on the fifth day. Um, But I'm kind of glad I caught it now before my wedding, because I feel like I'm not going to get it on my wedding, knock on wood. But that would be very soon after this batch. So... Hopefully I got the strongest one and can beat out all those other little batches of COVID. Um, so yeah, I've been kind of by myself and my car's in the shop today and I can't go anywhere. So I'm doing fun stuff at her house and I can't invite anyone over. So because Sam's ill on the couch, we are in isolation mode. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So. I wanted to talk about some news going on in San Diego, kind of like Ron Burgundy taking a page out of his book, Um, but I wanted to bring up news that I saw was interesting on Reddit, but this is, this one particularly caught my eye. So on, so let's see, I think around June 28th, around the end of June, an underage girl was found at Camp Pendleton. Family says she was trafficked and eventually sold and brought to the barracks and assaulted. So this information is from the San Diego Times, but I saw it on Reddit originally, on the San Diego subreddit. So basically a girl was found at Camp Pendleton two weeks after she had been reported missing her her family and her family's alleging she was oh my gosh sorry I forgot a trigger warning sexual assault of a minor um so her family's alleging she was raped by a marine on the military base north of San Diego so Camp Pendleton um if you've never been to San Diego it's a a uh, marine base that's like just north of San Diego County. It sits like at the very edge of San Diego County. It's um, the city directly south of it is Oceanside, and Oceanside's the city I live in. So I'm like right that right next to Camp Pendleton. We always hear like the booms and stuff from military operations. Hope I wonder if they have UFOs stuff there. That'd be super cool because I'm so close. I can like see it over the hills. Um, but basically if you're driving into San Diego from LA County, there's, or Orange County, um, there's Camp Pendleton sits like you're entering San Diego when you drive through Camp Pendleton, which is actually really pretty because there's like no buildings or anything next to the five there. So you can like see the ocean, there's like campgrounds and stuff. I think they're military campgrounds. 
Um, but you drive by there and it's super pretty and you feel like you're like, just like, it kind of feels like Malibu or something almost. Um, I guess maybe not. I don't know. Um, but yeah, and then you drive through there and then you enter San Diego County, which starts with Oceanside. So that's why I found the story like particularly interesting is because I'm like right here. Um, anyways, this girl's aunt, Cassandra Perez, has been posting TikTok videos about this story because it's her niece. Um, but I guess her niece went missing from their home near Spring Valley on June 10th and was found at the base on June 28th. So Spring Valley is in East County, San Diego, and I only know that because my law school friend lives there. I think he still does, but it gets really hot, and I think it's, like, Southeast County. I don't know. East County's huge. I'm realizing, like, how... Because I only think about, like, places that are more west and how north they go, but I don't think of, like, places like east and how, like, north or south they are. It's always just East Valley, which could be huge. So, um, a photograph posted to Instagram by the account, not in regs, uh, shares content submitted by military personnel. So I think it's like kind of like a blind thing, like, cause it must be a public account. I should look at it. I'm guessing that military personnel will like take pictures on their personal phones and then send it to this Instagram account. Um, but it shows an unidentified Marine in handcuffs, uh, being escorted by military police officers. The post included a photo of what is said was a handwritten logbook, also known as a duty log from Camp Pendleton that says military personnel found a 13 year old girl in the barracks, June 28th. The San Diego times could not verify the authenticity of the logbook page. So that duty log page was also posted to the San Diego subreddit like a week earlier, which is crazy. Um, so basically I don't know military rankings, but a Marine with combat logistics battalion five was taken into custody for questioning by the Naval criminal investigative service. The day the girl was found this is what Captain Charles Palmer confirmed. Um, the first, yeah, okay. The Marine is on active duty, and he's assigned to a battalion stationed at Camp Pendleton. Um, it's unclear whether the Marine who was taken in for questionary questioning remains in police custody. I don't think he is anymore. I don't think there's any charges against him either yet. Um, but in a TikTok video... This victim's aunt, Cassandra Perez, alleged that her niece had been trafficked and accused military personnel of trying to cover up the case and shift blame to the girl for the alleged sexual assault. Um, so, yeah, she says, our family is worried about retaliation from the military and the man that has trafficked my niece, said Perez, who could not be reached for comment. According to the San Diego County Sheriff's Department, a 14-year-old girl who had been last seen June 9th and reported missing by her grandmother June 13th was found at Camp Pendleton. The grandmother said the girl had run away from home before but had quickly returned, according to the Sheriff's Department. After the girl was found at Camp Pendleton, Sheriff's deputies reunited her with her grandmother. Detectives interviewed the girl and offered services to the family, according to the Sheriff's Department, which is supporting NCIS with the investigation. Per the aunt's TikTok account, the girl has a learning disability also. Um, so this is a crazy story. That's super scary. 
Um, and I feel like to be like, you know, a 14 year old on the streets, especially with a learning disability, I mean, that's like your worst nightmare as a parent is that they're going to get trafficked. So, and also just like how disgusting, I don't know how military barracks work. Like, is it all, is it split up by sex? Is it split up by gender? Like, is it just a bunch of men sharing beds in a room together? Like, how do you hide? Is it like your own mini apartment? I guess these are things that I could Google and I probably will after this. Um, but yeah, you think if they were like sharing a room with someone, like someone would snitch, whatever. And I don't know if militaries are like, or like, <laughs> I don't know if this is right to say, but like if, if barracks are like, or if the like base, I've never been on base before. I don't have any family in the military. Well, that's not true. I have family in the military, but I've never been on base before. I don't have any like uh, people I know that I've gone with. So I don't know what it looks like. But is there any sort of like prison justice system where like if there's like a pedo, they beat him up? Let me know. Let me know in the DMs. Uh, <laughs> that's a, uh, sorry, I shouldn't laugh. That is a sad story. Um, but I think I already made that clear um but yeah it's creepy and I don't know I just like <laughs> I don't want to talk ill of I feel like living in San Diego is it's it's the first time I've been around a high population of military service members um because there's so many bases here I because there's Camp Pendleton and then there's Coronado and whatever else is in between, because I'm sure there's more. I, yeah, there's, and then in law school, there was a lot of people who were part of JAG, which is their lawyer program, I think. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many military people around all the time that we, I mean, support our troops 100%, but I don't support, like, the military-industrial complex, you know? Uh kind of have to straddle that line more carefully I mean I think a lot of people know San Diego is known for being more conservative out of like the other big cities in in California and I think uh sometimes a big part of that is like the military bases and stuff and I don't know like I feel like I mm, keep my politics myself right now but (laughs) I'm pretty liberal and I think I, I try not to play like identity politics so much. I try to like let my viewpoints speak for themselves. Um, but living in San Diego, you definitely have to be careful about what you say about like, I think like American pride. Cause I, I often err on the side of being hesitant to be just proud to be, Oh, I just think the notion of being proud of being something that I literally, like, was born into, like, had no choice in the matter, and also country lines, I find the whole idea kind of weird, and I, I just feel like having pride in something that divides you from other people sometimes is, like, <laughs> it's just, like, a weird concept to me, and I don't agree with, every, <laughs> obviously, I don't agree with a lot of things the U.S. does, so... 
I don't know, just having blind patriotism to me sometimes is an odd concept. But I don't say that to be like anti-troops or anti-military members and whatever. Like I feel like when you sign up for the military, like I don't, I don't think most of the time people are like, are like, <laughs> yeah, pledging any support for like a war or things like that. It's like they're pledging support for something they believe in. Now, like, that's not something, yeah, I would hate on. I feel like to have any kind of commitment to anything is, like, pretty cool. But I just think, that being said, it's, like, also my right to not totally agree with the U.S. and our military-industrial conflicts and sending so many weapons and weapons development and, like, how much our military does cost like that's I think a whole different thing than like not supporting troops but anyways um support our troops but question the war machine monster that is our lobby system and you know all those fortune 500 companies that invest in weapons and whatnot anyways that's capitalism for you baby I think that's really the that's the capitalism is also why I'm recording this podcast right now I wouldn't have an affordable Mac computer a microphone and a phone and internet to do all that search on all that research and downloading on without capitalism so you can't hate on everything all right on to my next story after a quick water break. On this podcast, we don't have ads. We have water breaks because yo girl gets thirsty talking. And clearly, I talk a lot. So, some more San Diego news. Dude, if you don't, that last story was interesting if you don't live in San Diego. This story, I'm not going to lie, probably kind of boring if you don't live in San Diego, but it's near and dear to my heart. I care a lot about this issue. Court upholds decision to invalidate the 2020 ballot measure seeking to lift Midway District 30-foot limit height restriction. So, I, when I first moved to San Diego, we hadn't had an opportunity to come down and, like, look around for an apartment. So, I basically, like, had to find one online and just, like, hope it worked. And so, I found, like, this two-bedroom, one-bath apartment in... Midway District. It was technically Point Loma, but it was like, um, I think it was like South Point Loma, and it was right off like the Rosencrantz freeway exit, where there's a bunch of like <laughs> strip clubs and sex shops and whatnot. It's like pretty rundown. Anyways, that's where I used to live. Um, one night, like my roommate was subleasing our her room to one of our friends from high school, and he gets back, and it's like 11 p.m. And he's like, I just ran into like a fully home or a fully naked man on the street walking back from my car. Um, so that was our whole old apartment. There are like bullet holes in the in the windows up at the top. Yeah, my mom was happy when we moved, to say the least. Anyways, that's Midway District. Um, but it has this, in my opinion, dumb ass like 30 foot limit height restriction in its permitting and just like development so what happens is you never get any tall apartment buildings or you know housing in general it's all limited by the 30 foot limit 
And I think their reason was to preserve the ocean views. But if you, I mean, maybe in some parts of Midway District, you can see the ocean. But the parts that I was in, you could not see the ocean ever. Like, you're close to the ocean. Um, but I could not see it. So, so that's why it's so dumb. It's like preserving a view, a view of what? We can never have parking structures. Parking in Midway is impossible. That was another thing I hated about that apartment is you can never find a parking spot. So they don't have any like tall parking garages or anything because of this 30 foot height limit. Okay. So on Friday, June 23rd, California's fourth district court of appeal. Fun fact, I externed there upheld a San Diego Superior Court judge's earlier decision to invalidate a 2020 ballot measure that sought to lift the 30-foot height limit in Midway District. Um, So long story short, the first court ruled that the ballot measure didn't properly analyze the environmental impacts of buildings taller than 30 feet, which is required by CEQA. Now, CEQA is it stands for the California Environmental Quality Act. It's California's version of NEPA, I believe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Whatever, let me see. I'm going to look this up. The federal... So if um, you're not from the U.S., or if you are from the U.S. and you care... Um, oh, yeah, NEPA. I was right. Okay, so if you... <laughs> So there's federal law and then there's state law. Federal law usually and like always trumps state law if if the federal law is more restrictive, but state law will trump federal law if if state law is more restrictive. Usually. I mean there's a whole test for that, but whatever. That's like I think one of the rules. Um so NEPA is federal law for like environmental development rules. So if a state doesn't have any environmental development rules, then it would probably default to NEPA. Like you have to fill out this NEPA report. But if a state goes like, hey, we like your regulations, but we're going to add on, then it's like going to be theirs plus the federal ones. So CEQA is California's version of that. In California, because we're California and everyone hates us, um, we made our NEPA, our version of NEPA, like have a lot more teeth than NEPA actually has. Because I think NEPA as it is doesn't really do anything. Um, But CEQA does. Anyways, so whenever builders want to build anything in California, and CEQA maybe is part of the housing crisis, but um, they have to do a bunch of tests and stuff and analyze analyze things that meet CEQA's standards. And so um, it's also a way to contest development. I took a land use plat, land use planning, I think it was a land use regulation course in law school. And this is where I learned a lot of this stuff. But basically to like stop development, uh, a thing that stakeholders will do is they'll pick out like, they'll challenge, like, oh, did you meet CEQA's test for this? And, like, stuff like that. They'll, like, pick out something that might not meet, like, a, a state regulation for giving out building permits and things like that. So this guy, John McNabb, founder of Save Our Access and plaintiff in this case, said 
The mayor and council have been determined to mislead the public in order to give away our prime coastal public land to their campaign contributors with the effect of blockading citizens' access to the coast. Today, the people won a major victory. And that's what this guy, John McNabb, says. So he's like the stakeholder here who cares a lot about the views, apparently. I should do more research on this guy, but... Yeah, he's, he's saying today the people won the victory, even though the people are the same ones that voted for that ballot measure in the first place. So I don't know who, what people he's referring to. Um, anyway, <laughs> I think my problem with being against this new like building measure and like building over 30 feet is because if you like if you you need to build higher to make more housing for people and then also building higher means less land that we have to take up like it's less development we have to do overall and spreading out because I feel like if anything we've learned over the past over the 20th century was that suburbs are not great for the environment like having to commute everywhere is not fantastic and having like mixed use spaces is overall better for the environment even if it ends up being more urban and like urban areas like the best thing you can do for the environment is move to a city where you can get anything by like walking downstairs and stuff like that um so like as far as zoning and stuff goes like my I'm very pro like let's make higher make more affordable housing stuff like that like I'd way rather have that than like a huge tract of land being developed for single family housing which like is hypocritical for me to say because I'm in a single family home. But I think ideally the future would be like townhomes where you're connected. So you have to take up less space, but you still have like a yard and the same similar amenities to a single family home. But we'll see. I don't know. They're not making more of it. Land, that is. Um, yeah, so higher buildings equals more housing, less land development. And you're not getting rid of any views because there's no views in Midway anyways. And preserving the character, like what character? The character of having like a Chili's and a uh, sports arena boulevard and a Petco and, and a Best Buy and whatever that stadium is called. The goals are really the culture there. Anyways, yeah, so that's, so I'm going to move on because <laughs> I think this might be boring for anyone that doesn't care about land use or the culture of San Diego San Diego's Midway District, which I seem to care a lot about. Okay, so in pop culture news, I'm sure anyone who pays a little attention at all to anything has heard about the Jonah Hill and his ex-girlfriend, Sarah Brady Saga. Jonah Hill's 39, and Sarah Brady is 26. So... Sarah went and she posted like a bunch of screenshots of communications with Jonah Hill that she had had while they were together and they were like text and whatever. And a lot of them were like them talking about her Instagram and how Jonah like wanted her to take certain pictures down and like do certain things. Um, so I'll read like one of the texts cause I think this one's particularly interesting. So in one post dated December 2nd, 2021, Hill's allegedly to have written to Brady, if you need surfing with men, boundaryless, inappropriate friendships with men, to model, to post pictures of yourself in a bathing suit, to post sexual pictures 
Friendships with women who are in unstable places and from your wild recent past, beyond getting a lunch or coffee or something respectful, I am not the right partner for you. If these things bring you to a place of happiness, I support it and there will be no hard feelings. The message continued. These are my boundaries for a romantic, re- for a romantic partnership. My boundaries with you based on the ways these actions have hurt our trust. So that's what he said in one post. In one post. Um, yeah, in one of the posted pictures of, or screenshots of alleged communications between the two of them. Um, <laughs> in one of them, I think Jonah said that he was like the best boyfriend ever, which is just a funny thing to say, I think. Because um, about yourself, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so anyways, uh, what's been a big point of conversation about these posts is the kind of therapy speak that you can hear in the text messages um maybe I should read more okay so some more examples of what was said in these texts from Jonah oh in modeling which is the last profession I would be with as a partner Sarah thought picks quote unquote Jonah but lol must be hard feeling so trapped Sarah well maybe you should have asked me more about what I do for work before you decided to date me then a little late now Jonah keep taking me for granted go model it's fulfilling life you'll move it love it (laughs) real depth and substance and sustainability for relationships but actually I'm done with this convo and then she said yep unbelievable that is the man who sent me shit like this And it's him reacting heart eyes to a big picture of her in a bikini surfing. Then. More text from him. Respect however you want to live your life. You only get one. Sort of done with explaining myself. From her. Three removed. Not the video yet. My best surfing video. Would you feel better if the cover frame was different? Any more specific ones that bother you? Jonah. Yes, one that isn't of your ass in a thong. Oh, this is my favorite from Jonah. Literally just say hello and leave the combo. I love how your therapist thinks I suck. I literally am the best boyfriend on earth. Okay, this is one from her. How do you think I feel over here thinking... There was still hope for us, saving room in my heart for you, not able to make room for anyone else, being a solid emotional support to you the past five months, like a fucking idiot, doing that completely unaware you're in an emotional headspace to be, to even be able to date people, stupid me once again, blinded by my love for you, putting up with things I shouldn't. From Jonah, there are so many insulting and incorrect things said in that paragraph. I will choose to not get into or debate. I don't want to debate. You're someone I care about and did want a family with and was shattered when your behavior showed you weren't able to do that. Now I didn't hate you Hate you for it. I was shattered because it was all I wanted, but I didn't hate you. I tried to remain close as a testament to my care and love for you. Okay, so I think that's enough of their texts and stuff. Um, what's interesting is like how he, his use of the term boundaries in these and everyone's been talking about it and everyone says that he uses them wrong and I'm not going to debate whether he uses them right or wrong because hell, maybe I use them wrong. But when I learned boundaries from my own therapist, I thought they were like things you 
set as a limit for yourself to like help control your behavior and your relationships with other people. Not things that, I mean, I think that's the manipulative part is like telling someone to do this while you're in a relationship. Like before your relationship, if you're like, if she like hits on you and you're like, sorry, I don't date models. It's like, oh yeah, clearly like that's something that you do to control yourself. But like when you're in the relationship and you said it, it seems very controlling because it's like, well, hold on. I was this thing before I entered this relationship. And now you're saying it's like a condition of you being with me after you've been with me for so long. Like you set the boundary in the beginning and it prevents the thing from happening. You don't, I don't know. Like, (laughs) like I have a lot of boundaries. Like I don't, for example, I like I blocked my brother and like, it's not because I'm not willing to ever talk to him again. It's because uh, like our relationship is better when I block him, you know, I don't like, does that? Uh, yeah. Anyways, like, that's how I think of boundaries. I'm like, it's something you do to like make your behavior better. And like to make you feel like it's a, it's a way to like control your own behavior in my opinion. So like not a way to be co-opted to control other people's behavior. Um, but I could be wrong. I'm not a therapist. Anyways, what I think is interesting is that they started dating, I don't know, sometime in 2021 and then they ended sometime in 2022, but they were still like that last communication was August 31, 2022. So I'm thinking that they ended like, as you said, five months. So maybe they ended in March of 2022. Um, but they were still kind of talking by the end of 2022 or by August, 2022. And then he had his baby on June 2nd, which I can do a little math means the baby was conceived sometime around September and August, which I'm guessing was what, no, cause you wouldn't tell someone right when you get pregnant. At least like that's most people. If you don't know the rule is like a lot of people wait until the end of their first trimester to tell people that they get pregnant or beginning of second trimester because unfortunately a lot of um childbearing people will experience sorry trigger warning miscarriages when in the first trimester so a lot of people just like wait to wait to tell people because it's painful to have a lot of people think you're pregnant and then have to tell them I mean I don't need to explain why that's painful anyways yeah uh, so I'm guessing Sarah Brady didn't know that his partner was pregnant when they were still messaging at that time. I just feel like maybe she found out that he had started dating other people and that's probably when he started dating, you know, his baby mama. And I just, I just think it's a quick turnaround, you know, cause he, he got someone else pregnant like very soon after their past breakup. And I think it's interesting cause in these texts, they're talking about like starting a family and whatever. And so I feel like, I don't know, just, I don't know, the whole, like, family talk, and then, like, with your, like, because I've never known any of Jonah Hill's girlfriends, right, like, it seems like the first, like, real public relationship he's had in a while, um, so, I don't know, I just think it's interesting to think about, I'm not gonna, yeah, it's a newborn baby, which is exciting, so we should all be excited for a baby, but the circum, the parents, are always interesting to talk about. Anyways, um, yeah, so Sarah Brady posted those texts after the birth of his child, and people thought that was interesting. Like, maybe she was trying to co-opt, you know, some of the um, press or attention that he was getting for having a baby. Um, But 
I don't know. I think waiting till after someone has a baby is honestly, I think that's kind of respectful, you know, like what if that did stress the mom out? Like, I feel like the Sarah Brady girl is probably kind of, maybe it's just cause she's a surfer and went to UC Santa Cruz, but I feel like she's probably kind of a little bit of a hippie. And I was like, no, like don't want to like stress out a baby. Like don't stress out the mom. Anyways. Um, <laughs> what I think is super interesting about this story is that Jonah Hill's team has been accused of buying bots to defend him on social media after his ex-girlfriend accused him of being emotionally abusive. Now, Brady's allegations have sparked a lot of debate on a lot of platforms, and it's prompted a number of social media users to point out why they believe what they believe is evidence that some of the comments defending Hill are actually generated by bots. Um, so yeah, a lot of people have been debating these posting screenshots of text and like the morality of that and like, who's right, who's wrong. Like, is, isn't that, well, like they're Jonah Hill's boundaries. Like, I think that's fair to like have boundaries in a relationship, but it's like, you know, it's just one of those hotly debated like topics where it's like, should we cancel him over this? Like, like, I think it's a good conversation to be having though, um, for a number of reasons. One of them is just like, well, yeah, like what does abuse look like? What does modern day abuse look like? Cause like, you know, texting, like being abusive over text message, that's only existed in the past like 20 years. Right. So I think it's fair to say that like perhaps how we communicate abuse also evolves, you know, like how in the, you talk, I was going to talk later about this, but like over therapizing and like having, you know, maybe people with personality disorders or certain dispositions, AKA psychopaths going to therapy and like perhaps that can be weaponized. Like, I think there's an interesting conversation to be had about that and like whether this is that, like, I don't think we're ever going to be able to like pinpoint an answer on it. Um, although like, well, okay. I don't think we're ever going to be able to agree on an answer for it. I, in my opinion, think these are a form of abuse. Um, it doesn't seem like, I don't want to say it's not insidious because I feel like sometimes when things are not, are covered for like being abusive, they are more insidious, you know, rather than just being like, you dumb bitch, like that's overtly abusive depending on the context in which it's said. And, um, I feel like sometimes when things are explicit, it tends to, I don't know, like, yeah. Like, at least it's on its face. Like, you know what it is. This kind of stuff is like, yeah, am I wrong? Am I right? Kind of makes you feel crazy. Um, so, yeah. So a lot of people were, like, commenting and, like, defending Jonah Hill and stuff like that. And so a TikTok influencer that a lot of people know, and I really like her, Teffy, was seeing comments saying that these people defending Jonah Hill were copy paste looking so she basically makes an investigatory tiktok and then she pulled up a screenshot of pop craves july 8 twitter post about the allegations under which sat a pair of identical comments defending jonah hill the message in question which i personally saw posted by users on reddit read quote it sounds like he's communicating what works for him in a clear way he literally said he supports her if that brings her happiness it's just not for him. I actually see nothing wrong with this. So a number of Twitter users also shared screen. Ah, sorry, I can't talk. Also shared screenshots of the identical posts. 
Writer and activist Leah McElrath highlighted another Twitter account that shared several posts defending Hill. She said, looks like Jonah Hill has hired a reputation management firm to activate inauthentic accounts to try to silence people speaking up for Brady. McElrath wrote alongside a pair of screenshots of a Twitter account that she described as all pro Jonah Hill and anti Sarah Brady content. Well, this is super interesting. And like my mom says, it's not the crime. It's the cover up that gets you in trouble. And here I think, yes, the crime is getting him in trouble. But to me, the cover up is way worse because now not only are you the asshole that sent those texts in the first place, now you're the asshole that is using the power imbalance that you had always had in the relationship and weaponizing it even more against your ex-girlfriend who, let's be honest, is... Oh, someone's here. Okay, we're back. Sorry. I was... Uh, my Instacart delivery just got here, so I had to go out there and deal with that. But basically, I was talking about how there was a huge power imbalance between Jonah Hill and Sarah Brady. They have a... 13 year age difference I believe she's 26 and he's 39 and obviously he comes from a lot of fame and a lot of money I mean he must have a ton of money I don't know what his net worth is but I'm sure he's worth a ton way more than her and so like yeah there's going to be a power imbalance and then I feel like him hiring these bots and stuff or paying for these bots just speaks to how powerful he really is and how he can like literally try to manipulate public opinion to sway in his favor over something like this. And I feel like this kind of like buying bots to sway opinions, we're going to see that a lot more in the future. So just be aware on that. And if you're interested, listen to Fluently Forward's episode on the internet because it scared the shit out of me. And I think bots are something that we should be concerned about because a lot of, like, humans are monkeys. Like, we hear the same idea repeated over and over again, then we start to pick up on that idea, even if, like, on our own, independently, we might not think that way. At least that's how I think it will go. But anyways, about the whole, like, therapy part of it, I'm not a therapist, obviously, but I'm on the subreddit for therapists, and I go to therapy, I feel like, a lot. Uh, maybe over-therapized right now, whatever. Um, but I do think it's interesting how therapy is kind of a topic of conversation surrounding this pop culture event um, because Jonah Hill did make a documentary with his psychiatrist, Phil Studs. I didn't watch it, but my own therapist recommended it. Um, and I asked her about the whole conflict of interest thing and in making a movie with one of your patients because, like, I'm an attorney and I think about, like, I don't know, I feel like there'd be all sorts of, like, professional responsibility and like ethical boundaries that would be broken by making a piece of media out of our relationship I don't know so my therapist told me though that like she is like on the board of like some therapist committee and like they had a conference and they held a discussion on this like exact like issue like the like basically like the ethical issues of making a movie with your patient um which I think is another like a different conversation and I wonder here like yeah like was there a bad therapist involved in this or a bad psychiatrist involved in this like is that 
part of like, cause they were seeing like the fact that they were going to a couple's therapist was part of the conversation. And so I do think it's interesting how therapy played a role in this and like how, um, yeah, like how maybe that kind of relationship could be used to sway, I don't know, thought on the part of your partner. Um, so I saw a comment on the subreddit therapist because they brought up this, this, um, like Jonah Hill's movie with this therapist and then this whole like Sarah Brady situation. And they were like, you know, do you feel like this is giving therapy a bad name? And one of the commenters said, I hope so, because they feel like therapy is now treated as like a magic bullet for literally any problem. They believe in transformative. Oh, the user believes in the transformative power of therapy, but therapy can't cure every person in every relationship. Um, speaking personally, I, <laughs> I like I believe this. Like, I feel like it. I feel like maybe there's the right therapist out there for everyone. But I think to go through the work, it's like dating. Like, yeah, I believe like you can fall in love with a lot of different people and there's a lot of people out there for everyone. But I also think that dating is work. And I think that sometimes it's not worth it to people to like keep looking like it's because it's okay to be alone, you know? And I feel like that with therapy, like even if you find the perfect therapist, like it does talk therapy always work for everyone. Probably not. I'm guessing. Um, but it's a good start at at least showing that you're trying in my opinion. Um, one of the comments on the same post said the whole Jonah Hill, Sarah Brady thing is a pretty accurate depiction of what can happen when you get what's termed a primary or secondary aggressor in therapy. They absolutely will use things they learn in therapy against their partners. Therapy can be contraindicated. This is me talking, meaning like it's effectiveness curtailed perhaps by the person's own personality disorder, mental illness, or even personality along with an incompetent therapist. Um, I think this is like a real problem basically, like where some people instead of benefiting from therapy might co-opt things they learn in therapy to manipulate other people. So you can learn a lot about human nature and learning about yourself or like how a therapist makes you understand your own behaviors and maybe not all the time it helps you change, but some people take it and they'll, they might use it to affect other people. Um, I think a really good example of this in a fictional relationship is Tony Soprano and the Sopranos. If you've ever seen the Sopranos and if you haven't seen it, um, it's basically about a mob boss who starts going to therapy and the whole, throughout the course of the entire show, he, is seeing this therapist, Dr. Melfi, and, like, they talk about his problems and, like, stuff like that. If she eventually learns he's, like, a mob boss. She might know from the get-go. And, um, yeah, and, and basically, spoiler alert, but the series ends and Dr. Melfi breaks off this relationship with him, this therapist-client relationship, because she realizes, like, he's not learning anything. He's not nothing's going to save him. Like all he's doing is taking stuff he's learning in therapy and using it against other people. So I think that's, um, I don't know if that idea has been popular for a while, like the idea of weaponizing things you learn in therapy, but I think this is a good example of like how that might exhibit itself. And yeah, so (sighs) It's funny, I talked, I asked Sam, I was like, how would you feel if I posted 
bikini pictures of me on my Instagram. He's like, I wouldn't care. And I was like, and then he was like, how would you feel if I posted like shirtless photos of me on my Instagram if you had one? And I said I wouldn't care. And I was like, I feel like people, when they have a problem with it, these are the two things I could think of were like, one, they don't like the idea that like their partner is putting a picture of them on the internet for other people's enjoyment. And two, they don't like it because they're afraid someone might like see that picture and it might prompt them to like contact your partner and like talk to them, whatever. And (laughs) just like, I think like, it's just interesting because like I was thinking about that with Sam and I was like, neither of those things bothered me. Like I almost, I like it when girls hit on him, you know, like it doesn't bother me. I don't think he's going to cheat on me, but I like, I don't know. It's nice thing when other people are interested too. It's like, yeah, I know that's mine. Um, but yeah, so I, I do feel like it's like a deeply, deeply insecure thing to be like very controlling over like what your partner posts or not posts because it's like, uh, yeah, like I think that, if you don't trust your partner, you don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be with them, you know? Um, unless like, well, okay, maybe that's a generalization, but I, I do think like overall you should trust your partner. And if you don't trust them, then something's wrong and you should be working to rebuild that trust. Um, so yeah, that's all I have today. I should go do some stuff around the house, but damn, this is like pretty long for me being on my own. So your girl can talk. All right. Later, haters. Bye.